Hey everybody, Mike Lejeune here with Game Changers for Government Contractors, and today we have a treat for you. I've got Jeff on the line here with me, and we're going to be talking about an interesting topic. Jeff, before we dive into your topic, why don't you give everybody a little bit of insight into who you are and what you do? Well, Michael, thank you so much, and I'm so pleased to participate in this podcast with you. I have about 35 years of government contracting experience. Retired Navy commander, former contracting officer in the Navy's F-18 EF Super Hornet program. I have a Master of Science in Acquisition and Contract Management from the Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey, California. And I was fortunate to teach there as a lecturer for 12 years. I'm also a part-time senior procurement counselor for a procurement technical assistance center. And I also do consulting in government contracting. And also I'm an expert witness in government contracting and the small business innovation research program. I like complex problems. I like to help businesses of all sizes. That's my background. Awesome. I don't know if you know this, but in our business, I often refer to Josh, my partner, as kind of like rain man when it comes to government contracting. And he always says, well, if I don't know it, Jeff knows it. So he kind of considers you a level above that when it comes to stuff that we don't know. Such high regard for your knowledge of this space and everything. I really appreciate just having a chance to chat with you about this and some of the things that you have observed over the years. When you sent me the topic over, I was very intrigued by this. The topic for today was efficient government contracting processes and also some of the potential pitfalls to these. Can you tell everybody a little bit about what you mean by efficient government contracting processes? I think everyone knows that there's three major categories of competition for federal agencies and in the federal acquisition regulation. Full and open competition where everyone gets to compete small businesses against other than small businesses, large businesses, not-for-profits. Then the second category is full and open competition after exclusion of sources. And that's typically where they have the small business set-asides. A lot of small businesses that have socioeconomic set-asides or certifications. The third category is other than full and open competition. And there's seven exceptions where the government can issue a sole source contract. One of the major exceptions is there's only one responsible source that can provide the required product or service to the government within the time frame needed. There's other exceptions such as the urgency or emergency or authorized by statute. So as a result of my experience with doing government contracting, I noticed that the government has some flexibility in their acquisition strategies and they have authorities to streamline competition and to what I call a fourth major category, efficient government contracting. This is where they're able to award contracts more quickly than a traditional contract that may be posted on the federal system for award management and a full-blown source selection strategy. And some of those may take a year to 18 months. In stark contrast, as an example, micro-purchases below the micro-purchase threshold of $10,000. Those are very quick awards. There's no competition requirement. They're protest-proof, and the government typically pays the contractor with their 
government purchase card. However, there's potential pitfalls associated with that, that there's no small business set-asides. They can go to a large business to satisfy their needs. And the government also is supposed to distribute those types of awards among qualified suppliers. But as you know, sometimes they don't do that. The other potential pitfall in that particular category is that the Buy American Act doesn't apply below the micro-purchase threshold of $10,000. So people could be providing products from China and other countries that are not domestic producers or signatories to a trade agreement act. That is just one example of the efficient government contracting that the government has. There's many others. That's an interesting perspective on it. The thing that I found is the average contractor sort of knows about some of these, but the challenge is they don't know how to engage the government about it. That's really where I think a lot of the problems come from. The average contractor understands you go on SAM, you look at opportunities, and that's where you play the game for the most part. Knowing even how to approach a contracting officer to talk about one of these options is a very big challenge for them. I just want to take a minute to tell you we are expanding our social media footprint. We are all over the place now. We're on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, you name it, we are out there on it. And I'd love for you to follow me, shoot me a message, let me know you're following me, and help continue to spread the word about the Game Changers for Government Contractors podcast and all the tips and strategies that we share every single week. Now let's get back into this episode. you have some insight or thought strategies techniques on approaching the government about when they should be using one of these efficient strategies yeah without a doubt if people are only relying upon seeing solicitations on sam.gov or some other portal that's reactive i think these businesses need to be proactive they need to be aware of these efficient contracting and competition of authorities and strategies and influence the acquisition strategy. A lot of ways to do that is with tailored capabilities briefs, big proponent of trying to influence acquisition strategies via a tailored sources sought response. When they do a sources sought response, most people think it's only to determine if a small business can do the work. And if a small business can't do it, then what portion can they do and use that in negotiating a subcontracting plan with a large business. The third person purpose, you need to remind the government about this purpose from time to time, is to also provide advice and recommendations to improve their acquisition strategy. And that's where I go and talk about you can streamline the competition process. If they're concerned about getting a lot of solicitations, then I might suggest, why don't you use a multi-advisory step contracting process where people submit limited information on their capabilities, without any pricing and then do an advisory down select to let those companies know that they either have a chance to be competitive in the second step where they actually issue a full-blown proposal or they have no chance and that really is important and that will then reduce the amount of proposals that they get although Mm -hmm. if you are told you have no chance of winning the contract you still can submit a proposal but I don't know why you would want to do that right so at what level 
people are you typically recommending somebody have that conversation? Are they having it at a program manager level? Is it a contracting officer level? What level are you recommending they have this particular conversation that you're talking about? Yeah, that's a great question. And actually, there's multiple levels. You have to think about who owns that requirement, who generates the requisition for some new product or service, and who loses sleep at night if this is not done properly. That would be the program manager or the end user. They certainly can influence the acquisition strategy and make suggestions to the contracting officer, but it will boil down to actually getting with the contracting officer. And in a lot of cases, you have to educate them on the state of what's possible and what their authorities may be. And you always have to state why it benefits them, the government, and not your company. Although you're only going to make recommendations that benefit your company as well. So Mm -hmm. it has to be a win-win situation. Nice. Do you have any tricks, your sleeve, I guess would be the right way to put it, for figuring out who that person is? I'm always intrigued by all the people we have on. Everybody has a little bit different strategy of how they find that right person. Really think for most people, that's the hardest part of this job. Who's the right person to talk to? And if they determine, well, I should probably start with somebody besides the contracting officer. Is there a trick up your sleeve on finding out who that program manager is? You could go through the Office of Small and Disadvantaged Business Utilization, the small business representative, and ask for a capabilities briefing with the program manager. And quite frankly, going to industry associations and networking is a very good way to do it as well. Trying to get through the gatekeeper is extremely difficult sometimes, maybe the small business representatives that really don't understand the program requirements. You obviously have to do your homework on what the agency buys and who they're currently using and what are the opportunities for improvement and order a magnitude improvement with your proposed solution that you have and conveying that value so that you can get past the gatekeeper and get to the right people. This is not easy, as you know, but persistence and doing market research and opening and knocking on doors and saying, you may not be the person that owns this requirement, but do you know who it is and can you introduce me to them? I think even that language is kind of a little bit of a trick there. Who owns this requirement? Or like you said earlier, who's losing sleep over this and what's going on here? You know, those are little things where it just makes people ask a different question other than who should I talk to? Who's in charge of this? As you gave me a list of a handful of different efficient competition modes, you've talked a little bit about micro-purchase and simplified acquisition. I would say out of everything that's out there, simplified acquisition is probably one of the top things we get asked about. When it's a new business trying to get into government contracting, we're bombarded with, well, I heard they can just do this under simplified acquisition and just award me this thing. Can you talk to me a little bit about not only the benefits, but the pitfalls of simplified acquisition? And then maybe we can talk a little bit about how do we really approach the government on using simplified acquisition if that is one of your preferred methods? So, As you know, the simplified acquisition threshold is $250,000 and below that. Quite frankly, the federal agencies are supposed to reserve their contract opportunities below $250,000 for small businesses if there's at least two small businesses capable of competing independently and can satisfy the government's requirements. It's really simple 
simplified compared to another acquisition strategy under FAR Part 15, contracting by negotiation, which is probably one of the most complex acquisition strategies and processes. Contracting by negotiation, formal source selection plan, synopsis and posting of the solicitation on SAM.gov or another government portal. They then have a source selection plan that they develop internally, a source selection evaluation board, source selection advisory council, source selection authority. They can do, even in that process, uh, streamlined competition with a competitive range determination where, let's say, they get 10 proposals and they then have to look at which are the most highly rated proposals. They then can negotiate with those companies and then eliminate the other companies that have no chance to win the contract award. That's an efficient process. And then the FAR also states that they can eliminate the competitive range for efficiency purposes as well. Those acquisitions are very complex, highly scrutinized, higher dollar value, and more congressional interest in a lot of cases if it's a major defense acquisition program. So now in contrast, the FAR Part 13 Simplified Acquisition Procedures, SAP, are a lot more simplified, but they are still very complex. They will do a combined synopsis solicitation, and I may date myself, but in the old days, they would do a synopsis, which is a summary posting on the government portal, SAM currently, and they would say, we're going to issue a solicitation in 15 days, and this is what we're going to do. So SAP procedures allow them to just make one posting on SAM, here's what we want, and here's the solicitation, and it's due by such and such a date. They can combine all sorts of acquisition strategies under FAR Part 13 SAP procedures, including commercial item acquisition procedures. They can do sealed bidding, two-step sealed bidding. They can also incorporate elements of the more complex contracting by negotiation processes. When you look at a solicitation under the simplified acquisition procedures, you're not going to have 500 pages in the solicitation. It will be something typically less than 100 pages. The number of clauses and provisions that they will include, which dictate what the prospective offer has to do in a provision, and then when they get the contract award, that clause, 95% of them become clauses in the contract as to compliance requirements. Also, under simplified acquisition procedures, they're asking for requests for quotes, and those are not quite as complex as a full-blown request for proposals. So it's not as simple as what people think, and it's certainly not as simple as what they're used to under commercial contracting. Mm -hmm. The average government contractor, when they bring this up, they're like, can't I just approach a contracting officer and say, hey, we do cybersecurity. We should be able to get a contract from you under simplified acquisition. You can just award this to us for, you know, 200, 249,000, whatever it is. So why don't we just do that? That's literally the thinking that a lot of folks have. And I'm like, it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. And I'm not sure if it plays into this conversation that much, but one of the things I've seen a lot is these contracts that are coming up for renewal and there's some extensions happening, but then the government runs out of extension runways and then work still needs to be performed on the contract. They, for whatever reason, are not pushing out the new contract. It's getting kicked down the road and it's just a mess, but work still needs to be performed. And 
And so I assume there's some of these mechanisms that can be used in those situations. Have any thoughts on that? Yeah, this is one that it's either a benefit or a pitfall for your clients. If you have an existing contract and uh, let's say it's a blanket purchase agreement or it's an indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity contract, or, and there's ordering periods, and the contract will state the last day of the ordering period. What I've seen in these circumstances is that the contracting officer will place a new order close to the end of the ordering date. In fact, I've seen it one day before the end of the ordering mm. period. And that period of performance can actually extend out to 60 months. When you look at that and you look in federal procurement data system next generation or USA spending, you see the estimated completion date. You're all excited about the recompetition to displace the incumbent contractor. And then all of a sudden you see, hey, they just got a new order and they're not going to do the recompete because they don't need to at this point in time. That gives them a little bit more time to do it. But there are two clauses that are in almost every contract and that's being able to extend the service by up to six months or extend the life of the contract by a set period of time. And so when the government fails to plan and they haven't put things on the street for a new recompete solicitation, they'll invite that. But there's a pitfall with that because it states that you have to then provide the products or the services at what was negotiated. In a period of rising inflation right now, you may not want that. So mm. sometimes you don't want to recommend to the contracting officer to exercise the option or to Mm. vote things. And if they don't provide advance notice, then you don't have to accept it. Nice. Great advice right there. As we wrap up, is there any final thoughts you want to leave listeners on this topic? I really liked your advice on if you run into any issues to seek help. And also bad news doesn't get better with age. And so to communicate with your contracting officer representative, the contracting officer, ask questions and really nothing ventured, nothing gained. But you also have to understand the government's authorities to use these streamlined and efficient contracting processes. And when appropriate, ask the government to take advantage of those and Mm. remember how to influence the acquisition strategy a little too late after you get the contract award because the government will then want consideration if they're going to give you a benefit. Recognize some of these streamlined procedures that may only benefit the government and may only provide marginal benefits to small businesses. You have to have strategies to mitigate those potential pitfalls and unintended consequences. Really good advice and I like that bad news doesn't get better with age. It's one of those things where I think a lot of people don't want to communicate about things. It's not going to get better. We need to do it right now and and deal with this issue. The other thing about your advice you just gave that I think is really important for people to hear is to advise people. People don't understand how busy people are, contracting officers and, and other folks, and they don't realize that even though those people are supposed to be experts, they may never have used one of these mechanisms before. Not only that, have you ever been busy and somebody asks you your name or your phone number, or your address, and you don't remember it? You get busy and simple things slip your mind and you're like, oh, why didn't I think of fill in the blank? Just because they're a contracting officer and they're supposed to know, or just because they're a contracting officer and you think they know, doesn't mean they know or doesn't mean they think it can be used in that situation. So a simple suggestion may be an aha moment for somebody. And that to me 
is one of those things where we just assume that everybody knows everything and they have taken everything into consideration before they execute. And a lot of times it's as simple as, why didn't I think of that? Being in a position where you can advise people is really, really good advice. Thank you for coming on today and talking about all this stuff, Jeff. I really appreciate it. I look forward to having you on and talking about something else in the future. Hey, Michael, thank you so much. And I do want to let you know that I try to surround myself with experts and I consider you and Joshua Frank really the experts in government marketing and strategies. So I learn something new every time I listen to you or listen to Joshua. So thank you so much for sharing your insights. Thank you for the kind words. I really appreciate it. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Game Changers. If you did, please go like and share this episode on your social media, as well as rate and review the episode. That helps other government contractors find out about the podcast and benefit just like you. We'll see you next time.